You're listening to a special podcast produced by UMFM 101.5 in partnership with the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Running Thursday, July 5th through Sunday, July 8th at picturesque Birds Hill Park. Winnipeg Folk Festival is a celebration of people and music that has been one of North America's premier outdoor music festivals for over 40 years. I'm Michael Els, host of Thank God It's Free Range, and this episode spotlights Donovan Woods. A masterful storyteller and a compelling singer, Woods has drawn acclaim from the likes of No Depression, been nominated for Juno Awards, and his latest album, Both Ways, was just announced as one of the Polaris Prize 2018 longlist titles. Woods will be performing on Saturday, July 7th at Big Blue Stem at 3 p.m. For the full lineup, a complete list of set times to purchase tickets and for more information on the Winnipeg Folk Festival, visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca. Well, his latest record is called Both Ways. Donovan Woods will be bringing that record as well as an extensive back catalog of songs to the Winnipeg Folk Festival in Birds Hill Park later this summer, and he joins us by phone. How are you doing, Donovan? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So uh, I I guess I'll start with Folk Festival experience, because it's a decidedly different thing than, you know, bar shows or or theater shows and stuff like that. How much much Folk Festival experience do you have as a performer? Well, I've done... uh... Probably five or six or well, maybe five or six now. I, I I grew up going to folk festivals. I like had a folky dad. I went to the Hamilton Folk Festival. We went to Mariposa. 
we went to the Owen Sound one, so I'm pretty well versed in the in the vibe at this point. Right. <laughs> I know how it goes. So then, growing up and, and, and attending them with a, like a folky dad, then uh, did you ever anticipate that you would be, you know, playing those kind of stages? Yeah, I figured I would. Yeah. <laughs> I played guitar then, and I just assumed that that's what you did. You grew up, and if you just kept going, they let you do it eventually. So I, uh, I, I mean, I saw some things that sort of really informed the type of performer I wanted to be. I remember seeing Amy Lou Harris, and yeah, I did. I thought. Uh, looks very fun to me. When you say inform the type of performer you wanted to be, what was it about her performance or about other performances that uh, resonated? I just wanted to be beloved in the way those people are sort of beloved, you know. Um, Valdi was another guy that you just, you know, you just watch people just be enamored with this trick that they could do, you know. Um, and that's sort of what it felt like. It just felt like, oh, it's, God, my parents just love this woman. And, uh, how could we, how could, I should just do something like this, just be beloved like this, you know? <laughs> it seems so simple. Was it uh, initially oriented around the fact that your parents loved someone and it was like, oh, you know, I can just, like, earn their earn their love by doing something like this, or was it just looking well, wider? They, they loved me. I wasn't trying to earn their love or anything. But uh, I just felt like, uh, you know, if that was a job, just getting... Being uh, just being beloved like that, if that and singing a song. If that was, I love to sing, and if that was the job, then that's probably the job I should have. It looks pretty nice. Sure enough. So, so you go from thinking, you know, I want to be beloved to to I want to be a, a working songwriter. Where does the kind of like the fork in the road or or the decision point happen about you know actually songwriting and not just performing? Oh well, you're just always trying to make make uh, music, you know, just any excuse to make music and make that your job. So it was just, you know, when it, at the times when it felt like uh, I wasn't going to be able to be an artist or, that, or that, that that wasn't in the cards for me, then that's when I thought I would write songs for other people or I would try just any route to be heard, you know. So it was just desperation, if, you know, anything else, just wanting to be able to make creation a job, you know. So it really wasn't a conscious decision. It's just that's that's just how it worked out, you know, just following opportunity. Right. So in writing for other people, uh, I'm curious about, like, what you gleaned from that that helped you find your own voice. Yeah. I think what what the what, what, uh, thing that happened was I realized that uh, I can do the thing. I, I sort of always thought of it as two jobs. I thought of it as, you know, that there, there would be these songs that I would write for other people and I would send those songs away. But the truth is that the songs that those people wanted to sing were the same ones that I wanted to keep and sing for me because, um, you know, you have a voice and you have a thing that you do. And the thing that you do is the special thing. You know, it's just like being yourself. There's only one of you. You can't try to be someone else because somebody's already doing it. It just made me realize that the thing I do is the thing I do and I shouldn't be afraid of it. I should just embrace it and be glad that I have a thing, you know. So in, in trying to write what you think other people, uh, what works for other people, it, it's kind of flat versus the things that you write for yourself have that vitality because they're you? I think that's right. You know, I think that chasing something always sounds like chasing something. Certainly there's country guys who grew up inside country music and inside that country lifestyle, and they write in a way that I'm never, I can do a really good approximation of it, but I'm never going to get to where they're at, you know. And uh, so I, I think that you have to find your own thing and, and be yourself. Right. So 
in then in finding kind of your own voice, how do you then kind of glean onto what it is at the core of that? And then like for shaping a record, what kind of at that moment best represents you or which songs are kind of most, most you at that time? How do you go about making that decision or making those realizations? Well, you just sort of, um, you just stay open to everything and just sort of, you know, when it's time uh, to make your record, you look at all the things you got, all the material that you have, everything you've written up between the last one and that one, and you sort of start to take stock of what it might be, you know. And then you start thinking of titles of songs, you start thinking of titles for the album, and you just sort of move pieces around until you can figure out, make it cohesive in your brain, you know. Um, and then suddenly it will, usually it's one song that does it, snaps it into focus, and it goes, oh, this is the centerpiece, or this is the thing that everything else is going to be wrapped around. And then it makes sense, and then all these other pennies start to drop in the other songs, and you go, okay, this is a cohesive thing. It's really, I mean, as much, a lot of it might be delusional when you look back at it, <laughs> but it feels, things just start to feel right, and then you know you've made a thing rather than, Suddenly, you've got a collection of songs rather than just the songs you wrote, you know, which is, uh, and then it, it makes the decisions of which ones to lose easier, too. So which was the central song on, on both ways that things hung upon? We, um, I think as soon as we started to record, when when I heard the way the song Another Way sounded, I felt like that was, as soon as I heard it, I said, this is the second song on the album, and I knew it, and it sort of uh, informed me, it, it helped me figure out what the thrust of the album was and how it should start and how it should move along. And so that song, and song number two has always been important to me for some reason. Um, it feels like a, feels like the place that you really have to do something really well. Uh, so when, when that one started to come out and sound the way it did, then I felt like we were doing something okay. That importance of the tra second track, is that something that you realized fr from like other people's records, that the, the records that resonated with you had a song number two? That... Yes, I think that, that was... Um, I'm trying, I, I wish I could think of an example off the top of my head. But so many growing up, sort of the first single was a warm bath, sort of an introduction to the sounds, like kind of a, you, you know, immerse you in the feeling. And the second one went, okay, you're calm and you're inside of it. Here we go, you know. And uh, I think when it's a good shove off, that's the exciting part to me, you know. And the first track, you know, nobody wants a record to start with like, <laughs> you know, some. I never wanted to start with some rocking thing right off the bat. I want them to respect my time and take it easy. <laughs> let, let me ease into it. I feel like the second song is the place where you where you really start the record. So you'd be like the, the wading into the water rather than jumping into the deep end in terms of putting a record together. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true of me. And true of me in swimming as well. <laughs> so then in terms of you said like that's that's kind of the the song in terms of the vibe and, and sort of the, the energy that you wanted to be the linchpin to the record. How do you go about discerning which other songs meet that? Or, or fit with that? Well, you just start to hear them. It, it doesn't really happen until um, they start to get recorded. And as they start to come out, there was two songs we cut off this record. And uh, they just didn't quite, they didn't measure up. And they didn't work. They didn't sit in the way or roll along in the way they needed to roll along. Um, those decisions, like, in hindsight, look, look, look obvious, but at the time are sometimes painful because you're invested in 
usually I'm invested in one lyric, you know, one line. Then I go, God, I can't imagine this record not having that line on it. But then you have to sort of remind yourself that good lines are kind of a dime a dozen, and there'll be more in the future, and there'll be there'll be there'll be more that you have to cut in the, in the future too. So you just have to sort of. Uh, be okay with it was that a, a hard lesson to learn to not be precious with your words i took a, like a class in university a playwriting class with this woman named judith thompson who is a, quite a successful playwright in canada and she re- she really ingrained in us that we can't you can't get precious about those lines you can't get precious because in playwriting you know you send your play to an editor and they'll cut an entire swath of text that you go oh my god i worked so hard on that and uh you know it's like um that's not what language is like in real life. It's not uh, not everything you say is important. You know, could you tell me where the bathroom is? It isn't as important as everything else. And so it's like uh, uh, it's it's an important lesson to learn. But I think I, I I've I've known it since I was since I was in university writing plays because she she did she would always say great lines are a dime a dozen. Don't don't get hung up on them, and don't pat yourself on the back too much. Were there any lessons, other lessons in terms of songwriting that you took from from the playwriting, like in terms of character or uh, plot of songs, things like that? Like I learned a lot about detail. Like I learned a lot about the telling detail of a person. You know, when you can strike a, there's um, there's description and then there's the essence. You know. Uh, sorry, I'm going to sound like an artistic jerk here, but. They, <laughs> You know, there's there's describing someone. There's like he walked with a limp, and then there's describing a person's essence. And and the telling detail, describing the essence of an idea, is so much more important than just the window dressing of the house smelled of old books or the, you know, or the the shelves were made of mahogany. I think some people get uh, caught up in the idea that detail is in quantity as opposed to quality. You know, you can say all those things in one line. You just have to find that line, you know. Right. So then in terms of finding that line, are you someone who is constantly revising your lyrics or, or you know, self-editing as, as you're in the songwriting process? Like, how do you, how do you find that line? Um, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll write it and then I'll write it again and then I'll write it again and I'll write it again. Usually, revision is really what I'm doing most of the time. Um, but then I don't get too... Very rarely would I ever write anything down or sit there with a pen and a piece of paper. Um, I'm trying to find the feeling out loud, you know, so I want to be able to hear how everything sounds out loud. And sometimes the detail that, that you're trying to get at is not even a word choice. Sometimes it's a, a melodic choice or a phrasing choice. So maybe the line doesn't feel right because the phrasing is wrong or because the melody is wrong. So there's so many different little variables that, like, getting hung up on on the way you've been singing it, um, it's an important distinction to make between whether something is good or you're just used to it. And that's a very hard thing to, to decide sometimes, whether it feels right because you've been singing it like that over and over again, or whether it feels right because it's right. So I try to stay really, really flexible on everything, on melody, on phrasing, and, and uh, try to find the best way to, to tell the story in that way. Do you have someone who serves as like a sounding board for you when it comes to like identifying where you're 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 trying to find something that's right, but you may be locked into doing it wrong or or just because it's comfortable or familiar? Well, when you're writing with someone else, that's certainly true and present in their room the entire time. Um, and that's one of the things that's such a fun thing about co-writing to me is that if you're with someone else who has a real critical ear, 
um, you can you can really tear stuff apart and try to figure out how to make it work better. And that stuff is really fun to me. I think some people don't find that fun, or some people think that sort of spoils the magic of creation in some ways. I love figuring out little phrasings to make things better. So when you're with someone, you can do that kind of stuff in real time. When I write alone, most of the songs on this record are I wrote alone. Um, you know, the producer, uh, James Bunton, who is a person that I could play things for, and he would sometimes, sometimes word choices, he's, he's, uh, he has opinions on. Um, he has opinions on phrasing sometimes, you know, that he would bring up. And he's Now everybody's very careful to bring that up with a songwriter. They, they don't want to offend anybody. But uh, it's the same thing as writing, you know, as the, during the writing process. You just can't be too precious about it. You know, because the truth is, is that you it might not be the right way. You might just be used to hearing it like that. And when you hear it another way, it might be a completely different experience. So, yeah, I try to bounce it off uh, people that I trust. But there is there's, there's a balance between that and protecting the thing that you're making, which is also very important. You know, not sending it around to a million people and going, what do you think about this? Because you'll get a bunch of nonsense opinions that, that aren't really valuable, you know. The, the too many cooks spoiling the broth idea. Yeah, or it's just like, you know, it's hard for, sometimes it's very hard for people to accept that you might not be the protagonist in the song. So I think sometimes when I send it to friends, they go, this is a, you really want to say this out loud? Like that this is something that you want to admit to feeling in, in public? Where you go, and I have to remind them that it's not always me, you know? So I think they may not like a song just because it feels like it's uh, too personal or something, you know? Uh, so they're they're identifying the singer with the song and not necessarily thinking there's like a a third party or or you know a different perspective. Yeah, much. I think I think that happens sometimes, and I think sometimes feedback from a person who is uh, mostly concerned about uh, is mostly concerned about what they're concerned for you. They feel like, oh, is this really something you want to say out loud to other people? You know, right? Uh, ra- rather than being concerned about whether the song tells a story, you know. So I was reading an interview you did with Rolling Stone around the time the record first came out about uh, the the final track next year and uh, about the tendency to put important things off till it's too late and that apparently this kind of came from a feeling of disappointing your son who'd been logging a list of things to do over the, over the weekend. And I'm curious about the role that parenthood has played in your songwriting. Have have you noticed like in looking back at songs from, you know, pre-parenthood to post-parenthood is there is there any difference? Like, does, is this something that weighs on you or, or factors in because the way you view the world has somewhat changed? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference in me for sure. I'm a, I'm a very different person. I'm a very I cry a lot more, and I can't watch <laughs> I can't watch any movies or television shows where children are even are in peril even slightly. I'm not I'm not interested in seeing that. I, even if a child is like hungry, I don't want to watch. I'm not interested. <laughs> Um, I'm a different kind of uh, softer person, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think probably the songs reflect that. I think there's a lot of songs that I wrote when I was a kid. And when I say kid, I mean like 24 and 25 years old that were written kind of spitefully. And I found real joy in that, um, in kind of finding a way to uh, make yourself feel bold in telling someone else off, I guess. Uh, or, you know, taking stock of a relationship in a way that wasn't necessarily thoughtful. It was just more angry. 
And that's the songs that I liked when I was a kid, and, and I sort of found value in that when I was younger. I think there's less of that now. I think it's, it's just more ruminative and sort of trying to be more thoughtful than, than I was previously, which is uh, not always easy. Right. So the album's called Both Ways, and I'm curious what the motivation was for, for naming it that, and, and was it you were hoping to leave it open to ambiguity, or did you have a specific thing in mind for it? I'm always hoping to leave everything open to ambiguity. It's like, yes, I can do it. Yeah. But you, you can't. I used to be able to do it because nobody cared, but now I can't. <laughs> now, now people wonder, so I can't do it. But, uh, yeah, there's a book of short stories that I really liked called Both Ways is the Only Way I Want It, which is sort of a play on that old saying, you know, you can't have it both ways. Um, and, um, you know, it means a lot of things to me. It means that the, the record, I think, has some of the smallest songs on it and some of the biggest songs that I've ever released, you know, um, some of the least production, some of the most production. And um, at the same time, I think the quality in, in lyrics that I value so much is when, um, I think when people say that lyrics feel true to life to them, it's because language has this inherent sort of um, ambiguity in it where everything we say could mean both things, you know. Um, there's uh, so often when people say something to us, we think, does he mean this or does he mean that? And oftentimes we just choose the meaning that we ascribe to that situation and we move on with our day. I think lyrics function and feel right when um, they could mean two things, and in fact they do mean both of those things, and they show that the world is full of contradictory ideas and um, things that two contradictory things that can be true at the exact same time, which is um, something that is real and happens all the time because of people's personal experiences or personal biases. Two things that feel contradictory can both be true. I think when a lyric has that quality, um, it's interesting to me. It feels vital in like real life. And uh, so that's always what I'm trying to get at. So the title also kind of explains that idea, hopefully in a way. That's a, that's a super interesting notion about that kind of uh, people reading two different things into the lyrics because you, in the Rolling same, same Rolling Stone interview, talked about, you know, the significance of Born in the USA era yeah. of Springsteen. And I, I know it was partially in, ta- in talking about that sound. But, yeah. but Born in the USA, you know, has been interpreted by, like, Democrats and Republicans as, like, two diametrically opposing views of the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, that's what's... That's what's so vital and elemental about that. Like that that's what's so wonderful about that song is that you know, you you can't hear that song without it feeling kind of jingoistic and that, that Bruce is proud to be an American, but at the same time he's frustrated by the way that that these returning veterans are, are treated and that he sees every day, you know, but at the exact same time the melody and the and the, the phrasing of that chorus uh help but communicate pride you know mm-hmm. and so it, it means both of those things and that's why it's so that's why it feels so real you know because it means both of those things at the exact same time and it means two contradictory ideas yeah. right donovan before we go i want to get you to pick a track off the the record that we can play for listeners and if you have a reason why you're picking that one in particular or an anecdote about it i'd love to hear that hmm. um well i don't know i'm not uh is <laughs> the one you've been playing off of there and not uh, i can just pick anyone i want you, yeah see i like to give the artist the opportunity to, to pick one just f- a because it sometimes revelatory and sometimes i get you know a nugget about the song or sure. something um i think i would like to the one that doesn't get played that often there's a song that song 11 is called 
her song, sorry, it's Ken, I think, Read About Memory, um, which is a song about how our memories are just all lies <laughs> and, uh, and how it's hard to sometimes remember bad things about past relationships. And that tends to be the reason why we, when we break up with someone, we tend to go out with them again because we can only really remember the good things because that's really what stays in our brain because who would want to remember bad things? So it's about that sort of, uh, that trouble that we have in, in remembering past relationships. Sometimes I think that's a coping skill too. Yeah, it certainly is. Like it's, uh, you know, it's just something that makes our life easier, but at the same time it makes it a little bit trickier because you, uh, I mean, I think everybody's had that where they sort of become close to someone they were close to before and they go, oh, I remember what this person was like. Oh God, I hate this, you know? Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing we do to ourselves. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, Donovan, thanks very much for taking some time out of your day and uh, looking forward to seeing you at Winnipeg Folk Fest. Thank you. I'm looking forward to be there, too. I love it so much there, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks.
I'm Michael Elds, and you've been listening to a special podcast spotlighting Donovan Woods, who'll be performing on Saturday, July 7th at Big Blue Stem at 3 p.m. at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. To hear more featured artists, visit umfm.com, and be sure to visit winnipegfolkfestival.ca to get tickets to this great event running July 5th through 8th at Birds Hill Park. Yeah.